The Joy Unleashed show empowers and inspires women to reclaim their joy. We provide tools, resources, and connections to help you unlock your true potential through engaging conversations, expert insights, and transformative stories. We create a vibrant and inclusive community where women can break free from the limitations that hold them back. I'm joyologist Colleen Greco, and it is my honor to be your host. Let's get right into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Joy Unleashed. I'm your humble host, Colleen Greco, the joyologist. And today I'm thrilled to, to welcome Lixie Harcum, a women's success coach and a corporate saleswoman in, uh, in her spare time works for a large IT company. Uh, her story is so inspirational, and I really think it's one that's going to give my listeners a really um, a ta- a tangible number of takeaways as to how to architect um, your own life, be the architect of your own life. The only time we have is now, so let's jump in and welcome Lixie to the show. Hello, Lixie. How are you today? Hello. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I love the phrase being the architect of your own life. And um, I don't know, I got a little tongue tied in the beginning, I guess. (laughs) So I'm going to bring it back up here now. Um, The focus of the show is joy, as you know. And my goal is really to inspire women to take that first step in reclaiming their joy, Mm -hmm. rewriting their stories, and create lives that really resonate with purpose and passion. And I know all of that resonates really well with you. So uh, if it's not too much, not too heavy, can we start off with some insight as to what brought you to who you are today? Yeah, because I'm definitely someone that has re-architected my life. Um, So when I was a teenager, I got into a relationship that ended up being really emotionally controlling and abusive. Um, On paper, it was like the ideal situation. I'd grown up with him. I'd known him since I was five. Um, But it became clear that he was not somebody that I should be spending my life with. Um, But we went from being in a bad relationship to being in a bad marriage. So I got married when I was 20 um, and found the courage to leave him when I was 21. So getting divorced that young has definitely, it's definitely stayed with me and taught me a lot of things that I, I now look at the world differently, I think, because I went through such a big thing when I was young. Um, So I was, I I was 23 when the divorce was finalised. Uh, living on a sofa um, and I I realised that that's not how I wanted to be spending my life it's not exactly how I'd imagined life when I was younger um, and I took the steps to completely transform my life so I moved out of my hometown I moved to London got a job that I didn't really understand other than it was in sales um, thrived built an amazing corporate career I quadrupled my income in uh, six years, uh, hit six figures, bought my first property by myself. Um, and I wake up every day and I'm happy. I love my life, which I feel very fortunate to be able to say. I think that's amazing because I know that there are lots of people watching and, and I think our, our viewership is well over 7,000 at this point. So there's a lot of people, um, and predominantly women. And I feel like there's a few things that you said that I think, um, if it's okay, I just want to kind of double click Mm -hmm. on one of the things was, you know, you sort of realized that you weren't in the, you know, you weren't on the path that you should have been on. So what was that 
what was that impending event? Because I think we all have those moments where we're like, is this my life? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this, you know, what I'm, what I was built for? And so what really gave you that courage to take that first step? It was definitely terrifying. Um, but it was, it was just something that I'd been thinking about for a while because I'd, uh, the divorce had taken so long and it was a really horrible process because of him. He made it really difficult. We had no assets, no kids, nothing to split. And it still took us two years to get divorced. Um, and there was just a lot going on that, and I was living, I, circumstances had meant that I'd had to move out the property I was renting. The only place that I could go was onto a sofa um, at my mum's. Uh, thank you, mum. So yeah, it was just, it became, I, I was working, I had a job, um, but it just, every day I'd kind of wake up and look around the lounge and just be like, how did I end up here? How is this what my life looks like? And I don't, I'm, I'm super grateful that I had somewhere to go, um, but it's just not what I'd pictured when I was growing up. It's not what I thought my twenties would be like. I was picturing like um, the, the TV show Friends where I've got an amazing job and I've got a great flat and um, life's just great. And it definitely wasn't that. Um, and I ended up in a new relationship and that boyfriend had moved to London to do some work. So I thought, why don't I do that? There's not much keeping me in Bournemouth, uh, which is where I live, a little seaside town in, on the South coast of England. Um, the job that I'm in is fine, but it's not really going anywhere. So why don't I look at the big city and move to London, get a, get a job, try a completely different career um, and just see how I get on. And so that's what I did. So I went to London. I got an, I got offered an interview for the job, um, went, did the interview for the day, got offered the job at the end of the day and then had to come home and tell everyone that I'd applied for a job in London because I hadn't told anybody. Um, and I wasn't really expecting to get the job. So, um, yeah, it was definitely coming home. It was worry. It was scary coming home and being like, so I'm moving to London and I've got to be there in 30 days. Um, but I did it and it was it was equal parts terrifying and equal parts exhilarating. Um, and I'm really glad I did it. And uh, I apologize that we have uh, we have a four legged friend who does not seem to understand the word hush. So um I, I can understand that, you know, you can look at it as an adventure, but it's, but it is pretty scary. I mean, you go from feeling relatively secure, you know, you're renting a place, you have like, you're kind of like your own life. And then you go back home, you're living on a sofa. You're like, what is next for me? Um, so like, where do you think that courage came from to just say, let's just do this. I, I don't really have anything to lose. Yeah. And that's that's exactly where it came from. At that time, I couldn't think of anything worse than having to having invited all of my family and friends to a wedding and a year later having to tell them the truth about what was really going on in that relationship and then spending the next two years trying to get out of it. So I'd already hit kind of rock bottom um, as far as I as far as I was concerned and nothing else that I did. I thought was going to be worse than that. I, it might not go well, but it can't be as bad as what I've just been through. Um, and I survived that. So why not give it a go? Because it could end up being amazing. I love that. And another thing that you did that uh, I, I'm personally not good at, but I know a lot of people aren't good at, is that you asked for help. You know, whether you realize it or not, by going home to your family, you're saying, I need help. I need you to support me. Don't know what it's going to look like. Don't know how long it's going to take. So again, you know, you kind of, you have to go in with your head held high and raise your hand and ask for help. 
So what advice can you give other women that are struggling to ask for help and, and be, be humble and at the same time secure in the fact that you trust the other person that they will pick you up when you fall? Yeah, so I am very grateful to have the family and friends that I do. Um, but yeah, I had to go kind of crawling home and my mum and rather all of my family didn't know how bad the relationship had been. I'd kept it because you do when you're in those situations, you don't tell people because it's embarrassing and you're kind of ashamed of it. So yeah, I had to kind of crawl home and explain just how bad it had been. Um, the divorce is awful. And to anyone that is kind of in the same situation and is struggling through by yourself, it's not worth it the the slight embarrassment that you might have telling the people that you care about what's really going on and the fact that you need help that slight embarrassment is a lot easier than having to deal with the problem on your own because that is the worst it's lonely you don't really know um what you're going to do and it's it can be quite scary and yeah i think the the slight embarrassment that you get with having to tell people i think outweighs the benefit that you get from doing it I think it's also the shock value too, right? Because I know I've had some experiences in my life where I'm like, well, okay, A, people, we don't we don't really make phone calls anymore. We don't call friends and talk on the hours or talk on the phone for hours. And so I know in order for me to really unload, I'm going to need at least 30, 45 minutes of your time, whatever it ends up being. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing. This call is not going to be quick. The next thing is this call is going to be heavy right? So the happy-go-lucky me that you're used to is not the person that you're about to, you know, interact with. And there is some guilt that comes along with that. And you're like, I don't want to be the drain on somebody else's day. But then there's also the trust factor. There's like, I have to trust that you're going to, you know, you're going to respect my privacy and hold what I share in confidence and that you're actually going to help me. And I think that's where I personally struggle is knowing that that person is really going to show up for me at the end of the day. So I applaud you completely. And if you ever have a situation like that, again, you can definitely count on me to help because Thank you. I know what it's I like. Hope I don't. <laughs> um, I'm curious how much of your life today was even fathomable. You know, you're, you're at that point where you're about to leave. You're feeling like what, like what else? Right. But you dream of a better life is any of this what you thought it it would or could be no not at all uh so when I was about um four years into my career my manager at the time sat me down and said like what are your career goals what are your aspirations and I had none because as far as I was concerned I'd made it I was making reasonable money I was living in London I was not in an emotionally abusive relationship and as far as I was concerned that was enough I didn't need to be doing anything else because I was happy with that and then she made me do the wheel of life exercise and actually um, take stock of all of the things in my life that I love, things that are that could be better and set some specific goals. And it was at that point that I really started to kind of dream about what I wanted life to look like and what I wanted to be able to do. And the couple of goals that I set at that point were to get to six figures at some point. I didn't yet put the before I'm 30 caveat on it. Um, and to retire my mum because she was a full-time nurse which is a hard job anyway 
Um, and without my mum, I wouldn't be as I wouldn't be anywhere that I wouldn't be as successful as I am. So those are the two things I thought I kind of thought that's what I'd love to do. I have no idea how I'm going to get there or what or how how this is possible. Um, but if I got to pick anything, those would be the things that I would do. I love that you paid it back. Yeah. Right. Or like forward, but back to, mm. to the person that <laughs> circular. Um, well, I'm curious. So. I, I have my own opinions on this, but I'm curious what you think keeps women from making that pivot in their own life. What is the thing or the things that keep them from taking that first three to five steps? I think it's a mixture of fear and guilt. So fear because it could go wrong, you could look silly, it might not work, and guilt because we're not great at doing things for ourselves we will go to the ends of the earth for other people but when it's things for ourselves we tend to just not not explore that as an option and oh that's not right and that makes me selfish and that sort of thing um so yeah i think that's what i think it's those two things that generally hold us back totally agree it's that what if and i keep any anyone that i'm coaching i always instill in them you know, usually with my kids, I go to the dramatic, like you could be hit by a bus next week and then none of this worrying would matter. Um, but similarly, I say something like that to my clients, like you, all this worrying does nothing to impact the outcome. To me, the fear I have is how would I feel if I didn't take the risk? And that's scary enough to make me take those first few steps. And what you always end up finding is the outcome is far better, kind of back to the, my last question, the outcome is far better than anything you could have imagined. It, it may resemble some of what your dream was, but it's usually exponentially better than what you had thought was possible. So, you know, I just want to continue to encourage women everywhere, take the step, take the leap. You don't know how many days you have left. You might have thousands or you might have three, right? So like, the time is now and I can't impress upon, I can't impress that upon people enough that you have to take the risk. You owe it to yourself. You get one life. Let's just try it. What's the worst that could happen? Exactly. I like the phrase, um, choose your hard. So staying in a situation where you're unhappy and you're not fulfilled is hard, but um, making the decision to go and do something that could completely change your life is also hard but at least that's got the chance to be an amazing decision that you've made. Definitely. I, I completely agree. So I'm curious just to take it down a notch. Cause that, that is like a really emotional, you know, first segment there. Um, and I'm grateful for, you know, your honesty and your candor, but again, this is all about joy. And so I'm curious what brings you joy every day? What is the thing that lights you up inside and really reflects your purpose? Uh, so my coaching business, for sure. Um, I like helping, I like helping other people. So in my corporate role, I fix problems. That's kind of what I do. It's, it's in the hope that it would lead to sales, but I work between two sets of teams and solve problems for them um, is essentially what I do. So I get to do that in my corporate role. And then in my coaching business, I'm helping women transform their lives and earn more money, um, feel happier and less burnt out. Um, and that is what lights me up. And then being able to use 
the success that I've got to help the people around me, like uh, retiring my mum, which I did in April this year, which is very exciting. Um, But that is what lights me up, is being able to share the joy and the success that I've got with other people. So this is totally putting you on the spot and you can, you can deflect it, like hard pass it. But when are you going to jump completely into success coaching and leave corporate life behind? So I have got a few goals left. I suppose you probably don't want to directly answer that in case (laughs) I see it. I understand that, but (laughs) I've got, I've got goals left in my corporate career that I want to, there's some, there's some certain things that I want to do before I left before I leave corporate. Uh, so for the foreseeable future, I'll still be doing both of them at the same time, which I love because I get to my, I really, I do love my corporate career and being able to do that and do my coaching on the side is the best of both worlds for me. I love that. Yeah, no, I understand. I, I used to do both as well. So I completely understand. Sometimes it's, you know, one is an escape from the other. So I, I totally get that. Um, I want to switch gears real quick, and I'm going to throw this banner up. Uh, you have a special offer for our listeners today, and it's it's saving uh, 40 hours by using these 40 productivity hacks. And I was sort of wondering, without giving too much away, um, what prompted you to first develop these, and are there a few tips that you can share that just gets us thirsty for more? Yeah. So one thing that I'm really good at is time management, getting things done, keeping my promises to myself, uh, because I've le- it's a skill that I've learned over the last eight or nine years. Um, and when I speak to uh, my clients and potential clients, I take for granted the fact that I'm really good at that. And not everyone is. Not everyone works in such a structured, um, productive way as I do. So the 40 productivity hacks is everything that I've learned about being productive. If you could do all of these things, you'd be like the most productive person ever. I don't recommend that you do them all at the same time. Um, But if you can adopt a handful of them, you end up creating time in your day. That's the one thing that we generally can't do is create time. But if you learn to focus on um, the tasks that are a priority, if you learn to prioritize correctly, if you give yourself the rest that you're supposed to. It actually improves your brain function. And therefore, when you're doing work, you're doing it more successfully. Um, So yeah, so I've collated everything that I've learned into this um, 40 productivity hacks to save you 40 hours download. Um, And my, whenever anyone asks me, what are my kind of key productivity hacks that I would suggest? Planning your time in advance is always the one that I go for. So every Sunday night I plan the rest of my week. So I'll look at what I'm doing with, uh, in my corporate role. I'll look at what client calls I've got. Um, I will look at my to-do list or my, I prefer to call it my action list because it sounds nicer. Um, And anything that's on there, I will make sure I've got time booked in my calendar to do it because otherwise, how do I know when it's going to get done? Um, So planning your time in advance and time blocking would definitely be my keys. And also planning breaks in your day so I used to be the kind of person that would just power through and I'd skip lunch or have it on my desk. Um, I wouldn't have a tea break and I would just work. And it makes you so much less productive because you're not getting the rest that your body and your brain need. So now I have, I always have a lunch break. Um, the time might vary depending on when I've got meetings, but I always have a lunch break. Um, and I work in kind of 90 minute blocks. So um, you might be familiar with the Pomodoro technique where you do 25 minutes of work, you have a five minute break, you do that three times and then you have a proper 20 minute 
to 30 minute break um, to yeah, give your brain a chance to recover and refresh you for the next 90 minute block. Well, you ended at the right spot because there was a freight train going by. I was listening, but I could not have been on the mic. So <laughs> thank you for that. You answered that in That's plenty of time. Um, no, I think these are some really great techniques. And I agree. I, I incorporate a daily walk because I have two dogs. Now, what I haven't figured out is why that walk spins them up like psychos and makes them unbearable for the following like three hours after the walk. So that's my next job is to figure out <laughs> like maybe I take them for a run and not a walk and then they're mm. dead tired, but they are wacko come three o'clock. So, that's so that's, funny. if you think of a productivity hack for that, you let me know. I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm a mindset coach as well as a nutrition coach. And I do spend a ton of time with clients um, helping them uncover limiting beliefs. So those stories that hold us back, the things that make us feel less than, and it's really my job to help them see themselves the way that the rest of the world sees them and through a lens of truth, mm -hmm. not that they're lying, but there's their version of the truth and the actual version of the truth. And really to wrap them in, you know, joy and compassion and grace being on the other side of your story now, what would you say to your 23-year-old self to get her to see that she is meant for more? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, you ruminate on that as long as you want. Because I, <laughs> I, I love that question. And it's so true. You know, it happened the way it was supposed to happen, but mm. you're smarter now. So, you know, well, if you could go back and change, what would it be? Oh, what would I change? Yeah, because if you look at my, if we went through my whole kind of history since then, there are so many things that have happened because of the situation that I was in, good things that have happened. That I don't think I'd, I don't actually think I'd change any of it. But the advice that I would give my younger self is to go back and remember how I felt about myself when I was younger, because we have so much confidence when we're really young. Um, we can do anything and the world is our oyster. And then we kind of go through our teenage years and uh, secondary school or high school, as you call it, and college. And somewhere along the way, a lot of people tend to lose the confidence that you're born with and the faith in yourself. You're never going to see like a three year old being like, oh, I can't do that. They're going to go and do whatever it is. They might fall over, but they'll do it anyway. Um, so it would be yeah, to remind myself of how I felt when I was young before the outside influences um, knocked my confidence and made me think that I was less than. Do you have an age or a picture of yourself in mind? We, I did this exercise with one of my coaches a couple of weeks ago and I can see her. I can see what she was wearing. She didn't match. So I'm not happy to pull this out of my attic in the next couple of weeks when it cools off more, but I was nine. And I remember being like, I look good. Yeah. No, I didn't. No, there was, there was bad color combinations all over the place, but I didn't care. And I remember it was just after that, that I was called fat when I was not fat. And that was the beginning of like that self-deprecation cycle. Mm -hmm. And so do you remember how old you were when you felt that feeling of that you could do anything or that you were uninhibited? Um, I think mine was a little bit older. I think I was into my teens before it started taking a downward turn. So I'd say I was probably about 17. Um, I was at college. It was just before I think I got with 
the horrible boyfriend. Um, but yeah, there was definitely like, there was a lot of learning to do and college was a lot harder than school had been. And um, and yeah, that was definitely the point at which I started thinking, I don't actually have a clue what I'm doing. Does anybody else know what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm now tapping back into that nine-year-old. Um, I'm giving her some fashion advice too, but... <laughs> And that's a little judgy, but seriously, when I show you the picture, you'll understand why. <laughs> but I am tapping back into her and, and just trying to have more fun with everything across the board in life because it is too short. And I think, you know, you're, I don't want to get to the point where I have to see things that way. I want it to be a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I definitely think, so I've what I've learned over the years is that it's a, it's a choice to try and be happy every day. It's something you can wake up and decide, I'm going to try and be happy today. I'm going to try to try and see the positive side of things. It might not always work out that way, but I think if you go into it thinking that, then you've got a much better chance of seeing uh, the positive side of things and the silver linings that you might not have seen otherwise. Yep. And I heard all of that. I was, <laughs> I was like, if she goes for one more second, they'll stop barking. I'm sorry, you guys, whoever's listening. The landscapers are outside mowing <laughs> my neighbor's lawn and the dogs are going crazy. Um, so I believe joy is our birthright and it is a conscious choice. It's a state of mind. So even if I don't feel happy, I can choose to th see things through like the lens of joy. And there was this phrase in a book as I was going through um, my own battle um, and trying to rebuild my life. Uh, my family's life really, that said, trouble is your transportation. And that that phrase, I can't tell you how many millions of times I repeated that phrase, trouble is your transportation, trouble is your transportation. And what that means to me is just, just keep riding that train. You hold on for dear life. It is bringing you to a better place. And it, trust me, it will get better. You can't, you don't have the ability to see that as you're going through your situation, but it almost always, well, not almost always, it always delivers you to a better place. And so you just have to hold on and have um, that belief system. So when I'm coaching somebody, it's interesting because I see a lot of the things that they're going through in myself. And I was really curious, like, what would you say um, to the viewers and the listeners today that inspire them to trust their intuition and again, you know, that inside we know we're meant for more. How do we trust that troubling time is going to deliver us to that better, you know, the, the pot at the, the end of the rainbow? So I think you have to, I like to look at mindset like a muscle and you have to work on it. It's not something that is just has it six pack or whatever phrase you want to use. You have to, you have to build that muscle and you have to keep building it so that it stays strong. So even when, so this year I've had a lot of health challenges, um, but I've still kept up doing my journaling and my meditation. Um, even when I was in a lot of pain, because those are the things that got me through it. Um, knowing that I was keeping my mindset strong. I was trusting in myself that I was doing all the things I was supposed to be doing um to help with my health issues um and yeah it's, it's continuing to work on 
those things that are going to give you the confidence to do what you need to do, even when you're going through a rough patch or a rough year or whatever it might be. And I always tell people too, that you will continue to fall. You'll continue to get hit by something that you didn't see coming. It will knock you down. But just because you've been through this thing doesn't mean you're exempt from other things. But I tell people that the victory is in the rebound. So what used to keep you stuck for years or months is now weeks or days or, you know, hours and minutes and seconds. So, you know, the, the triggers come or the problems come, but, you know, through the, the strategies that I teach these clients, what they learn is how to deal with them and how to respond to them in a, in a constructive and a proactive way. And so, you know, I just, I just came out of another slump. I mean, it wasn't nearly as serious as, you know, what had happened with my son, but it still got me down. You know, it, it didn't knock me out, but it still got me down. But I still found joy in the smallest of moments. I don't, I don't, you know, I guess lose sight of that, but I really want to impress upon people. You will get knocked down again. You just are so much stronger and wiser you'll know how to handle it a lot better and you'll rebound faster. And once you rebound, it's like you feel like untouchable. You feel like nobody, nobody can knock you down again. And it's the most empowering feeling. Absolutely. And yeah, unfortunately, that's life, isn't it? We are, we go through, we will go through challenging things. Um, But you're right. It's how quickly we we rebound from them and how much we learn from them so that the next time something comes up, we can we're dealing with it more effectively from the beginning and it might not necessarily get us down quite as much as the previous one did it's like when i hear people talk about failure that's one of those f words and being from boston there are some f words i actually enjoy but (laughs) failure is not one of them i and i can't put my finger exactly on why i guess because it's a negative term and and the experience wasn't negative you learned something from it It probably wasn't the happiest moment of your life, but it taught you something and it brought you to a better place. So I always try to get people to move away from that word, especially because it's it's one of those labels that tends to keep, you know, keep them stuck and, and, Mm. you know, is how they tend to identify. Yeah, exactly. It's got definite negative connotations. But if you look at some of the most successful people in the world and the failures that they've had, um so uh alexander graham bally inventing the telephone how many times ta- how many telephone calls did he try and make that didn't go through until the one that did go through um and stephen king when he wrote carrie um i think he submitted it to like 20 different publishing houses and they all said no and then eventually the 21st said yes um so those those are considered failures but he had to get through the 20 publishing houses that didn't want it to find the one that did uh, so it was definitely a positive experience. And it's a similar thing with with the, th- the things that we all go through. Mm-hmm. Um, it might feel traumatic and annoying at the time, um, but it's given us the experience and the knowledge that we need to try again and do it more successfully. My son put a Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan quote on my wall. I can't completely see it, but it says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Amazing. I love that quote because it's that so true. Quote. You think Michael, Michael Jordan is the GOAT, 
you know, of basketball. Yeah. And he is, he's the guy, he's the one everybody wants to be. He, he, um, got cut from, I think he was in 10th grade. He got cut from the varsity mm -hmm. team. Do you want to be that coach? Like what? But, but what it did was it caused him to go back and work even harder. And he, he got better as a result of it. And he mm -hmm. could have taken that as a shot that he wasn't good enough, but mm -hmm. boy, would yeah, he imagine, wrong. If he'd, imagine if he'd given up on his career at that point, because one coach didn't think he was suitable. Yeah. Nike probably wouldn't be in business. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> do you know, by the way, I found out uh, recently his mom negotiated that deal at like the 11th hour. Yeah. And that they're making a film about it. That's either coming out later this year or next year, I believe, I which is very exciting. I wish I had the numbers handy, but my husband's really into sneakers. And so he knows all of them, but it's something like $300 million. It was ridiculous. A day or, or something on the shoot. Anyway, I don't know. Oh, I just know UPS shows up at my door almost every single day. <laughs> um, so recently, and I want to share this, I, I, um, launched uh, my journal. So it, luckily, I'm so proud it became an Amazon best-selling journal. So here it is. It's called the Daily Dose of Joy Journal. I'm really proud of it. And inside there are prompts to get people, you know, just thinking about how to journal and, and what to say. But I, I bring that up because I want people to understand that, um, that journaling is one of those core principles that I make sure I do every single day. And it brings me joy. It sets my mind up right for the day ahead. Um, I also do meditation. I also do some type of physical fitness just to get, you know, like the oxygen and the red blood cells working in my brain. What can you share about your daily practices that might inspire somebody um, watching or listening to then apply to their own life and something that keeps you firmly grounded and rooted in joy. Uh, so journaling is also one of mine. That is something I do every morning and every evening um, so that I start the day right and I end the day and go to bed feeling relaxed. Um, exercise for me is the biggest one. So I definitely had a hate relationship. I'm not going to say love, hate. There was no love uh, with exercise when I was younger. Um, but I've gotten really into it in the last few years after having a back injury. Um, and the benefits from exercising, especially in the morning on your mindset and your focus for the day are ridiculous. Um, so I would definitely say find, find an exercise that you like doing. If you don't like doing an exercise, don't do it. Um, but find one that you enjoy. So I really like weightlifting, um, because it doesn't involve running of any kind. Um, but it gets your blood pumping and for the rest of the day, you're kind of on this, almost like this high that it gives you because of the serotonin and things that it releases in your brain. Yeah. Uh, so that would definitely be one of my absolute go-tos is that you need to be doing exercise of some kind, even if it's just a walk, um, go outside, get yourself some fresh air, um, and see the benefits that it has on the rest of your day. Beautiful. Yeah. And I tell people the same thing, you know, do what brings you joy. If I sat there and tried to get you to, you know, do running or uh, Peloton or whatever, you know, mode of exercise you prefer, um, or that I prefer, mm -hmm. I think you'd stick with it for about five minutes and then you'd give up because it isn't something that you really enjoy. I love to run. If you told me to go for a run right now, I would, right? <laughs> I love it. Um, but you know, there are other people that just don't. And so I tell mm -hmm. them, don't do it. If, if yoga is your thing or walking or swimming, whatever it is, some type of movement just mm -hmm. to get 
the red blood cells going to where they need to go and then get the, you know, fresh supply of, of oxygen as well. Absolutely. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so just as we're wrapping up, where can people find you best? Instagram at six figure success, six figure success club for sure. That is where I spend most of my time. Yes. And you do some really awesome Instagram lives. I was a guest on yours recently. Thank you for that. Um, but no, all of, all of your content is really creative. And, um, part of me was like, why doesn't she just go into doing social media and she could do mine? (laughs) (laughs) I have a great social media woman. I shouldn't say that she's probably listening and she's going to kill me, but I'm, I also have a great social media woman. I can't take credit for all of it. It's definitely not me. <laughs> you do you do an awesome job. But Lixie, thank you so much for being so, you know, candid and um, open about your journey. Because I really do think you're inspiring women out there to no longer stay stuck and, and take that leap. Thank their, you. Their- I, I, so. I hope, if I help just one woman that's in a similar situation to where I was in my early 20s, then I will be happy. I love it. Thank you. So that was another great episode of Joy Unleashed. Um, Please feel free to follow um, Lixie at Six Figure Success Club on Instagram. Um, She also has a website, sixfiguresuccess.club. And until next time. Thank you for tuning in to Joy Unleashed. As always, it's my honor to be your host and joyologist, Colleen Greco. Follow me at the Colleen Greco on Instagram for daily motivation and inspiration. And don't forget to leave my show a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, sisters.